0: Hold on one second. I gotta I gotta grab something from the kitchen. Jesus, we're like ready to go here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You had all day. (laughs)
2: Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows Podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the State of America podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ian Rice. And with me, as always, Mr. David Hudson. David, thank you for being here with me, my partner, for the last five years. This is our 100th episode, sir. How are you doing?
0: 100 episodes devoted to the Black Crows. Who Who would have thought? We just said that
2: simultaneously.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, we've done more than 100 shows because we have
2: like road trips and bonus episodes, but this is the 100th proper episode. Yes. And it's been a uh, an amazing ride thus far. And uh, like I always say, you know, we get right off the bat the, the best thing about doing this is, of course, the community we've developed and the network of friends we've uh, acquired, for lack of a better term, over the last five years. One of them being. Producer Jason, who is here with us also. Jason, what's happening, man?
1: My brothers of a feather, how are you doing this evening? I'm glad to be here celebrating this 100th episode with you guys.
2: Yes. I had and, somebody
0: at work the other day. I was telling them it was going to be our 100th episode. They go, how could you possibly have 100 episodes
2: on the Black Crows? And I go, hey, we're just getting started. Exactly. Yeah, And uh, I mean, it is a funny thing. You would think that the, uh, the well would run dry after a while, but there's so many facets and offshoots and things and you know just keeps it interesting and we have new
0: creative blood helping us uh come up with new ideas
2: yeah yeah i mean Uh, uh, david and i don't come up with shit anymore it's all jason
1: (laughs) this is not true this is false but i do find it very interesting as i was taking a journey back preparing to have this discussion with you fellas and i thought about when you guys started this thing this was may of 2019 Pre-pandemic, matter of fact, actually, at that point, it was curious to see where you were going to go, and then surprisingly, right about that time, guess what? Rumors started flying about a potential Crows reunion, and here we are today, anticipating a new record.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was when we first started. We, you know, we got lucky in the in the respect that like activity started happening again, so there became you know uh, fresh subject matter
0: now. It was like pulling teeth, getting into that first episode. He slow rolled me for about six months, but it all played out like it was supposed to, because you're right. The rumors started up and about the time the podcast came out. So it, it worked out like it was supposed to.
1: So what I'd like to do, if you guys don't mind, let's, let's spend a couple of minutes and, uh, let's go back through the first hundred episodes. Cause I, I want to talk about some key things that happened along your journey when you launched the original episode, you're going to talk about the Black Crows. What did you expect was going to happen? Did you think it would just fly completely under the radar? And when you talk about the response you got, what, what did that look like? And, and how did that feel when, when a lot of people were like, yes, a Black Crows podcast?
0: I knew it had the potential before we even did it to be successful. But when we released the first one, obviously, when you hit that button to upload it, you just you don't know what's going to happen. And obviously with the way the Black Crows community is, you know, we eat our young all the time. (laughs) It was kind of nerve wracking because most everybody that I knew through the Black Crows community and online kind of were typical Black Crows type fans, you know, could be very cynical and everything. And so I didn't know, was it going to be accepted or were people going to you know make fun of it? And and there's a certain segment that makes fun of us. That's fine. It doesn't bother me. But when we got the numbers after like the first day or two, I just remember talking with Ian and and he kind of agreed with me like, this feels right. I forget what number I I gave it in my head for it to be successful like the first week, but we hit it in the first day. And for the life of me, I can't remember what that was. We just got so many messages or whatever because i'd been building it up on social media for six months i created us a facebook page and a a uh, twitter and instagram and everything and so it it felt really good and we didn't really plan the first episode we just hit record and uh now i do go back and listen to those first 10 or 15 episodes every now and then and i cringe because we we were not on our a game at all and we're very much learning but the the instant feedback was was overwhelming and that's when we decided we're going to do this
2: more than once a month yeah. And, uh, well, we haven't looked back since every day. Damon. and our first guest uh, was, uh, Matt Slocum, who really launched us into getting some legitimacy.
0: He was and, our first musician guest.
2: Well, yeah, that's what I mean. The first, uh, you know, uh, tied to the band kind of guest, and, uh, that opened the door to, to so many of the people that followed, you know? And then of course the, the, at, by the time we got Steve Gorman on around the book, that was also, I believe. When the announcement came that the, um, you know, when the band, when the brothers were on Howard Stern, it just kind of coincided, if I'm not mistaken. Right, David?
0: We released it
2: like two hours before they went on Stern. And we didn't know that. So that was another just coincidental piece of luck, you know.
1: Episode two was the first time that SOA had a giveaway, which has continued to this day where you guys give away amazing stuff to people, collector's items, one of a kind things, all that sort of thing. But episode two was the first time you did that. You guys remember at all what you gave away on episode two?
0: I don't actually. Was it lions related?
1: It was not. I don't remember. They were nugs gift cards. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Episode two, what you said is if you post on social media and tag two people that you think you would like it, You would pick randomly people to get Nug's gift cards. So episode two, you're already giving stuff away, which has continued as of like literally yesterday. (laughs) You're still giving stuff away. Episode 12 is the episode that Matt Slocum came on. So how did that come about? You know, you're a dozen episodes in, actually less than a dozen episodes in, and you're trying to book a former band member. To come on and i don't know who else you were trying to book at the time but when matt agreed to do it and now you're sitting there probably on a zoom much like this and you're talking to matt what was the thought process how were you feeling like talk about how that was
2: i mean it was really cool matt was a really cool guy i mean still is a really cool guy and it didn't it didn't feel like we were doing an interview it was like having a conversation and that's when i i personally decided that that's how it our interviews should kind of go like be more conversational and, you know, not so structured. And we kind of, I know in the beginning I used to write down a a series of questions and try to hit on them and things like that. And after a while I stopped doing that because I found the more interesting moments came from the spontaneity and just having a conversation. But so Matt kind of interviewing a legitimate person, kind of a good way to break in and somebody doing it with somebody like Matt allowed us to, to do it in a, in a comfortable manner. Yeah, I remember I booked him while I was at Rockin'
0: Pod. I remember I was in the lobby of the hotel and I was going back with him on um, like Facebook Messenger. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. And so that was our our first musician guest.
1: So then you also alluded to, Steve, so November of 2019, you released two episodes, episode 19 and episode 20. Episode 19 was Gorman. Gorman said, yes, he's coming on. I mean, what did that do for your guys' energy towards this pod?
0: Oh, the Gorman thing is fascinating because I think I had reached out and and hadn't gotten a response. And we went on a podcast and I just said, everybody get on social media, hashtag get Steve on SOA or whatever. And there was a great response to it. And I remember, I'll never forget this. I was off one day and I hate Walmart. It's my least favorite place to go. If I go more than once a year, something's wrong. And for whatever reason, I had to go and I went at like six in the morning and I'm walking out, you know how like you get your notifications on Twitter. It said, Steve Gorman said, well, I just thought like Steve Gorman's tweeting something. And I go, Oh my gosh, that's a direct message. And, uh, it was something kind of like, Hey, pretty cool way to get my attention. You know? Um, I think it, he's like, let me finish the book tour and then we'll circle back. And so I didn't follow up with him. I'm like, I'm not going to pressure him. And just out of nowhere, he messaged me and said, Hey, you guys want to do that interview soon? Maybe this weekend. And, um, that's how that happened. That's the most nervous I've ever been for anything podcast related at all. It doesn't even come close because I knew if we messed it up, we had really shot ourselves in the foot. One, it had to be a good interview for the fans and they had to think it was a special interview. Not like, you know, typical, what oh, was it like playing with Jimmy Page type stuff? And two, if we fumbled on the types of questions and stuff like that, it was going to rule out anybody else from ever coming on. And so we semi-scripted that one, if I remember, and, and it it kind of went off on its own thing. But, um, you know, obviously his his quote, there was a quote that he had that got picked up by RollingStone.com. And that was on the front of RollingStone.com for a couple hours. And my wife got that framed for me and Ian. And then I remember a guy messaged me, he goes, man, I'm in Seattle, and they're talking about your podcast on the radio. And then a buddy of mine messaged me, like, not Vanity Fair, something like that. It was had the article on there and then blabbermouth picked it up and I pulled up the SoundCloud download thing and it looked like a slot machine. And I was like, this is, this is the moment. And it, there's, there's a direct trajectory up once he came on the podcast. And, you know, I've, I've told him two times I've met him forever. Grateful for him for coming on. You'll never hear a negative word out of my mouth about Steve Gorman.
2: No, and, and added to that, if you remember, David. So obviously Steve dictated when we were gonna do it. And it happened to be on a Saturday and I was I was working. I, I work Saturdays. So I had arranged to do it in in the office where I work. And at the like the zero hour the, the uh the internet was out. So I couldn't access any like I brought everything there and it's like we went into like panic mode because I had to do it on my phone we, we were
0: under two minutes yeah and Ian and i was just like i'm just gonna have to do it solo like we can't we can't back out
2: so that's if, if i remember correctly my my sound quality is way off on that episode because i was doing it through my phone just because we had no choice but i was like you know it's like this big moment you're about to have and then panic sets in so yeah
1: episode 20 was seth and steve gleason from the Amoricans. They are such a huge part of the community now.
2: Those are two wonderful guys, and they mean a lot to my life. I know they mean a lot to David's life, and, uh, you know, it's we can't thank them enough for... We had, like, wh- when they were still members of the Amoricans, we had, like, a, a back-and-forth, like a mutual, we'll pimp you, you pimp us kind of thing, you know? And it, it really developed into two very special well, friendships.
0: It, and, and they've been kind of integral in helping us get plugged in to that Northeastern community, too, up in the Boston area.
2: Yeah.
1: So I wanted to, to mention uh, Seth and Steve and the Amoricans specifically in there as we move down the timeline because the Amoricans were an integral part to starting what has now become an SOA tradition. The Amoricans played a set of shows in Atlanta, and that was the first time you invited listeners to come and join you guys. And that was the first ever sort of what I call in my tracking of things, SOA road trip that has now, there's now been six of them in your time frame. So that to me was like the start of like, we're going to build a community, which obviously has flourished to this day.
0: That was one of my favorite moments yeah. ever. We, um, I think it was, Seth texted me one day and said, how long does it take you to get to Atlanta? And I was like, it's like six hours. It's not bad. And um, he told me what was going on. And I was like, I think we can get people there. So Ian and I had never met. Dave Chamberlain, we had had on. And I knew he was in the area. And uh, I just kind of threw it out there. And I, I didn't know. I didn't really know Sean online. And he messaged I, I if he's listening, I probably got this wrong. He winds up just basically saying, "Hey, can I come?" And I'm like, "Of course, well, anybody wants to come." So, as Sean Hillman likes to do, he gets in in the middle of the night. That's when I, whenever he arrives somewhere, he gets in at the middle of the night, just like he did in New Orleans. Ian asked, "Ian, I'm, I'm a planning freak, and I like to get there early and get." So I go in the day before. Well, Hillman lands at like midnight or whatever, and he messaged me, and I said, "Let's go to breakfast in the morning." Never have met anybody from the I Hadn't even met Ian yet. Never met anybody. From the podcast. And so here I am going to breakfast with this strange guy that I've never met. And we probably had like a two-hour breakfast. And I was like, oh, by the way, I got to go pick up Ian and meet Ian for the first time. You want to go with me? And so I remember we were driving up and he's like, well, I'm always going to have to hold this over Ian's head that I've met you beforehand. And Ian and I met at a train station um, in, in northern Atlanta. He took the train from the airport. And uh, Hillman, I think, has the picture of us actually meeting the first time. And, um, you know, this was, this was when everybody was coming out of COVID. And I, I'll always remember it was, it was, it was so funny. Uh, Ian and I are in the hotel room getting ready to go hear the Morkins the first time. And, and, uh, at that point, Ian, Ian was, was still a little cautious about COVID. And he said, um, how many people do you think going to be wearing a mask at the Morkins thing at I said, are you wearing one? He said, yeah, I said one. <laughs> and, uh, but it, it was this like, celebration of getting through all of that and getting back to normalcy. We had gotten to know all these guys so well with these midnight, two in the morning, zoom hangs during COVID. And, you know, I, it's no secret. Seth and Gleason are two of my favorite people. I love those guys. I, I talk to them all the time. I've hung out with them now like five times and to go and hear them play that music. And when I tell you they were spot on and, and you know, they were, Kevin Meany hit that Sometimes Salvation solo as good as Mark Ford. I'll, I'll die on that hill uh, at that show. But to get to meet everybody, and then Trent is there, and then Dave Chamberlain comes, and I'm, I'm trying to remember who I Kate came very close to being there. I remember that. She had to back out the day of. But we got all kind of got to know one another. And from then, I think Ian and I were both like, we got to make stuff
2: like this happen once a year. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. But do you remember when we were in the hotel room getting ready, and we discovered we both owned the same pair of sneakers? <laughs>
0: so we both. I mean, what what kind of shoes were they? Um, they were
2: blue, like like Asics, like uh, you know, just like track shoes or whatever, you know.
0: Yeah, and, and like we both go to put them on, and I'm like, oh, this. I mean, like this is a random pair of shoes, like you know, th- and and we both have them. And I'm like, oh man, this this is weird. Uh, I don't think I had (laughs) another pair, but no, that was one of my favorite weekends, um, staying up. We had a suite at the hotel and all those guys came up and and we hung out to the wee hours of the morning. And that's when I really realized as far as like getting to know people, we were onto something and, um, it's flourished since then. I mean, all those guys have been to my house. We, 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 you know, we've hung out a bunch. And so, Uh, That was a turning point for me as far as like I knew what we were doing was it wasn't about me and Ian or the Black Crows. It was about just everybody getting to know one another.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then to that end, then it starts to branch out a little bit, not just specifically Crows centric, but then others in the Crows universe start to uh, come on board and get wind. The first guest that you had uh, that was not specifically affiliated with the Crows. This was a guest that was from another band. In the Crows Circle, for sure, but was not uh, directly affiliated with the Crows. Came from another band. Do you remember who that was? I'll give you a hint. It was episode 35.
0: Susan Tedeschi?
1: Not quite. She was a little later, but it's a good guess.
2: How big a dick do we look like if we don't know our own history,
1: David? That's okay. Well, <laughs> Britt Turner. That's right. Yeah. Uh, oh, I didn't those, realize.
2: See, I got the uh the The timeline is all yeah. off. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he
0: he's a big Atlanta Braves fan like me. Obviously they're from Atlanta and uh, I can't remember if that's how it struck up. And then finally I just said, you know, I know they're huge fans. It's like, you want to come on the podcast? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's like, just tell me when. And then that's how we got, obviously how we got Charlie uh, and Brit uh, super nice guys. It's, it's kind of surreal. Sometimes you put stuff up on Instagram and he's one of the first ones that, that usually likes it. So yeah, I, I just, the timeline was off on that for me. I will be honest with you the covid interviews kind of all run together.
2: I it's interesting because when we had Brit on I wasn't that familiar with Blackberry Smoke at the time. I got into Blackberry Smoke from the you know the community and the, all the people we met and I really went in like full bore. So like it was cool with Brit because because I didn't know the band that well and things like that it was a lot more relaxed of a conversation for me and that's again like the conversational stuff to me always always strikes the best.
1: Yeah and then from Brit I mean then Jimmy Ashurst, Susan Tedeschi, uh, Charlie Starr, eventually, uh, you know, a lot of other musicians that came around um, that jumped on board. Now, at that time, too, this is also now when we talk about the Black Crows as they currently exist. Actual members in the band right now, you have interviewed two of them. The first one jumped on board in the spring of 21. Uh, episode 52 which was the first time you guys spoke with Mr. Sven Pippian.
2: It's it's really hard to say this because I I don't want it to sound like it's detracting from any of the other things we've done but I think ultimately I think Sven being on it is probably the the top moment for me. I Sven is such a genuine guy and such a a, a gracious guy. It was it's it was so great to talk to him and we we you know we've both maintained somewhat of a friendship with Sven since, you know, I, I, I will, you know, text him every so often, you know, I don't like to, uh, be a bother or anything, but you know, I, I, text him every so often, just check in and see how he's doing. He always answers. He's always like very positive and upbeat. Just, I mean, that's fantastic. Always fantastic for me. Well,
0: you know, I had never heard him speak other than he was on Dean Del Rey for about five minutes one time when, when, uh, Dean had Magpie on he was kind of one of our holy grails, to be honest with you, because obviously Chris has given a million interviews and so it was rich and, 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 and Steve and, and Mark to somewhat of a lesser extent, but nobody had really heard from Sven and Sven's one of the most likable, popular people that's ever been in the black. I've never heard anybody say anything negative about Sven. And so to get him and, and to get him to come on was really a big, kind of a big coup for us, to be honest with you. Like Ian said, um, you know, he, he took Ian backstage in New York and he met me in, in, in Birmingham and I'll text him Merry Christmas or something like that. And he always responds and I'll never forget when at work and get a message from rollingstone.com, spin piffy and rejoins the black crows. And I was like, that's pretty cool. I've, I was literally as happy for him coming back to the crows as, as almost any news we've gotten since we started the podcast.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, like speaking towards the type of person that Sven is yes he did he was nice enough at at, when i went to jones beach to you know invite me backstage for a few minutes but it was still kind of just post-covid so there was a lot of uh restrictions in place so he's standing there like apologizing to me because he can't take me further backstage i'm like what are you apologizing for you know this is one of the coolest things i've ever done and you're apologizing i mean uh, you know that's just the kind of guy he is you know
1: so speaking of going to shows with current band members, uh, it wasn't too long after that. About a month later, that you had one Nico come on an interview, and I think Ian, you've you've uh, spent some time with him after that as well.
2: Nico obviously is in the band now. He wasn't at the time of that Shake Your Money Maker tour, but he traveled with them for a for a length of time. So when I went to the Jones Beach show, he was there. And so I, I messaged him and said, I was, you know, out in the crowd and I see him come out of the side stage and he comes running down the side and comes over, gives me a big hug. Oh, they such uh Nico is like one of the, the nicest guys also. And then he and I ended up watching dirty honey together, so, <laughs> which was another, like, is this really happening? You know? <laughs> so And I also met a, um, a very big Supporter of the show at that Jones Beach concert. That was Mr. Brian Rosenberg, who's always behind the scenes, very big supporter. And Brian actually freaked me out, not intentionally, but he called my name from behind. And it just because he recognized me from doing this. And that was such a weird thing to me for someone that I didn't know to recognize me from doing the podcast. That was very odd. Now that is by far the strangest thing
0: that happened to me in Birmingham on that first go round. I was walking through the crowd, and somebody walks up to me and says, "Are you David Hudson?" And I was like, <laughs> yeah. "Yeah." Did you think you're about to get a, a bag over the head and, and thrown in um, a? Bag? You're, gonna, you're gonna get some was, paperwork. <laughs> it was um, it was Gigi Smith, who you met down here, yes. And, yes, and her husband Jeff. And then, um, it was like six or seven people came up to me and knew who I was and was like, "Hey, how are you?" And then my buddy Kyle was sitting in our seats. He texted me, said, you probably need to come back to the seats. One of your listeners is here looking for you. It was really weird. And I, that was when I, I, was when I went and met Sven and I'm walking through, through the crowd when the show is over with to go to the backstage area. And I've had like two people high five me and say, man, I love the podcast. Well, then a, a year later, I'm in Tuscaloosa with Rex Cunningham and Rex knows everybody. And so, um, we're, we're dead center. For the crows, for the come on, this guy walks up to me and goes, are you David Hudson? And I said, yeah. And he goes, man, I just want to shake your hand. Thank you for everything that you do. And I was just like, this is, it's, I'm going to be honest with you. It would be weird walking around like these famous people do and people always know who you are because, you know, you never know if you're going to be picking your nose or something, but it's, it's very flattering when people do that. I'm, I'm not telling people not to do it, but it It is kind of, it's kind of different and, uh, everybody's been super cool and, and And Jeff and Gigi, they came to my house and then they were with us in New Orleans. They look like 30 minutes from me. Great people. But, um, yeah, that was, that was kind of like one of the times I go, we're doing something right. You know,
2: I'm glad I don't have that level of fame. Cause I am most likely going to be picking my nose. So I don't want anybody to uh, see that happening.
1: All right. On our journey through the hundred, let's skip ahead a little bit. I got a few more highlights I want to point out. Uh, one specifically I want to point out was episode sixty-eight. Now we could talk about a lot of the guests you've had. You've talked about members of the band. We we skipped over Mark Ford, uh, but he was on and we talked about him. But episode sixty-eight was one of the best guests you ever had in your whole life. Do you remember who that was?
2: Was it Mr. Donsis? Yeah. You were on that you started on a proper episode? I thought you were on one of the the bonus things.
1: My first episode that I was on was the uh, lay it all on freed. It was combining by your side and lions into a single record.
2: Oh yes. See, like Jason has now become our historian. He remembers things better than me. I'm looking
1: do. at my spreadsheet
2: as I speak. I'm not going know, to No, but you, idea. you took like the I time to Ian. put together a spreadsheet. So <laughs> and, you know. speak, exactly.
0: and, and speaking of Mr. Freed, the invitation's still there. I'll talk to Let's you in go. Nashville.
1: Oddly. Come on, buddy. We want to talk to you.
0: Yeah. So the, the lay it all on freed one, I, I'm, it was a good idea. So I'm pr- probably pretty sure it was Ian's idea. I thought that was a fun episode, and one of the let's circle back to one of our earlier episodes. One of the first, actually, the first album review we did was Lions, and we did that for a specific reason. One, Ian and our fans of that album. Now, there's some there's some left turns they took on there that didn't work, in my opinion. But that album is so divisive, so if you talk about that, you're going to get people talking. Two, we wanted to save the 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 heavy hitters for when we had more experience and. Had other people on, and it, it and we still haven't done southern harmony, and that's for a reason because I want a member of the band to do southern harmony with us, and I'm, I'm gonna die on that hill so we can make it happen. But the lines episode really showed me that not all Black Crows fans are cynical and and loathing, and it's fine that people are because it means they're passionate. That's why we say they're 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 cynical because they're passionate about the band. But that episode showed me that it wasn't all in just one camp. There was another camp out there. And that one gave me a lot of confidence going forward with the album review. Like I said, there were reasons we picked it. And I believe by your side may have been the second one that we did. Cause I know we didn't circle back to one of the big four there for a while, but that lines episode to me was, was a real big turning point with us identifying who the audience was. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and I can confirm the first one you did was Lions. That was episode four. The second Crows record. So you did some other side project stuff. The second Crows record you ever did was By Your Side, which is episode 24. With Johannes. Yep, with Jason Johannes. Then you moved on to Before the Frost Until the Freeze. With Liam. Correct. Then you guys did the Live at the Greek with Brett Hogan and uh, Steve Hagar. Mm -hmm. It was a split. It was like two different uh, reviews. And then the next one was episode 55. That's when you did three snakes and it was just the two of you. All
0: right. Circling back to Hagar, that may be the biggest coup we've ever had was getting him on here. Here's this guy. That's like this has almost like mythological status, you know, for this quote unquote persona that he has and PS everybody. He's really a nice person getting him on. Like I was more excited when we hit, the send button on that one, because people,
2: I, I know that a three
0: board was going to pop. He could not be nicer and more supportive to us.
2: He is. And I enjoy having him on. And I, I, I always like talking to him and, you know, I mean, you know, there's some people that really get riled up, but once you, once you figure out that his internet persona and himself are two different things, it, it's a, it's a world of difference.
1: Well, and the last thing that I wanted to bring up, and then I'll let you guys kind of give your own thoughts. You guys have done three tribute episodes that I think were, were really powerful. The first one was to Neil Casale. Um, We've done one to Ed Harsh, and you've done one for Boa. Those are not easy to pull together. Lots of different voices and guests. Uh, but I think that in each of those cases, they really did well to represent just an integral part of the community, the Crows universe. And the way that you guys handled those things and put them together and sort of showed your appreciation for those folks was awesome. So can you talk about just the thought process going into those and the feedback that you got on them?
0: The Ed Harsh thing is the thing I'm the most proud of we've ever done. I think it was Ian's best editing work. The way he timed that descending hitting with ending of Steve's radio bit. I, I, I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it after we recorded it until it came out. I'll never forget. I was at work. I literally had to step outside for a second and like kind of get my emotions in order because I thought it was so well done. It was so tasteful that the, the people that came on and Steve would have come on. There were some other things going on in his life. Uh, I think at the time that prevented him to come on. But that one, I think as far as like quality of work, importance of work, was our best one that, and, and, and the Neil one was special. And then we can talk about the bow in a second, because that one was, I'm, I'm very proud of that one too, but that being our first one, we did like that. And I was really proud of how we handled it and, and the people that we had on. And then to me, Ian's editing of that was, was
2: genius. Yeah. I mean, all the, all the tributes were, were really nice to do. And, uh, but yeah, that the Ed harsh episode is probably the, Thing in terms of putting something together and 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 doing editing and all that kind of stuff. The thing I found the most satisfaction in doing, like I was really I was really proud of that episode. Um, and that's before Jason started doing editing, you know, because I I need help.
0: Well, and and what people don't know that boa thing that took a year. It did, yeah. A year and, of recording and, and and trying to get people on,
2: and it wasn't because people didn't want to come on necessarily. It was just coordinating everything, and we wanted to make sure we did that one. Right, and I'm not going to, you know, name names or say anything, but that we were reached out to by a certain number of the right people that validated doing that episode, and 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 that we had done proper with it, and I was really happy with that because I wanted to make sure that that came out, you know, that was a fitting tribute to, to Boa. And,
0: and there were some other people that turned us down, not because they didn't want to do it; it was too painful for them. Mm. Some some, some heavy players in the community. You know, we got a sweet note from Boa's wife about it. That was, that was one that we had. That's why it took so long. It had to be done right. And so it took a while to get everything lined up and and, and to make it work. And, you know, I, I hope it would have made him proud if, you know, if, if he could have heard it because he's much bigger part of this community than we'll ever be and, 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 and much more beloved than we'll ever be. You know, I tried everything I could to get him to come on here and he didn't want to do it. Uh it was so funny he told me, he said, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. I know <laughs> I was that was such like, a it was such a I was a, like a short shocking. of Chris and Rich, I'm pretty sure people want to hear from you, but he, he he was never rude about it. He was very respectful and he's like, Hey, I I support what you guys are doing, but I, I you know, I'm just I'm not gonna come on. And so the last time he told me that, I said, All right, I'm not gonna ask you anymore. I, I respect, you know, that, but just to let you know. Doors always open. That one and the Ed one were very, very special. The Neil one was good too. I'm not going to discount that one, but it's kind of what went into the Ed and Boa one, and and the way they
2: turned out, and and who we had on, just really made it special. Well, the Neil one was more reactionary than the other two because we did that like as that happened, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas the others were, you know, obviously the Ed one was uh, post his death, and and also um, the Boas. You know, there was some time in between. Whereas Neil was kind of immediate.
1: My biggest hope as we do this stuff is a bunch of schmucks that are just here talking that the people that have done the work uh, we've, we've mentioned Hagar, obviously Bo and his day, Brian with all the things he's going through with Crow's base and, and trying to get that thing settled, you know, Womb of the Free and all the work that she's done to document, you know, I, I, I feel like we're just a small part of the bigger picture of all the people that have done a lot of work to archive the greatness of this band. And I think you guys, a hundred episodes in, have have made your stamp in terms of being part of that lore. As we look forward to the next hundred episodes to come, very excited that we're we're again going back to when you guys started this thing. It was when the the rumors had first started that the band was going to get back together, and now here we sit, about to enter the second hundred episodes or so into this thing, and we're anticipating a new record. So uh we just got a box set out so there's a lot of things still happening the crows are alive and well in the music landscape
2: well we've decided to you know for the next hundred episodes like take the the kiss path and this is the next hundred is going to be our farewell tour but that lasts too long and then at the end we're going to become like holograms and just continue that way so you know that's that's really our plan for the next hundred right david or did we change i don't remember
0: Something like that, or we're we going to be like Bob Dylan and have the the thirty year farewell tour. No, I mean I, I'm I'm as excited about the, I'm actually more excited about the podcast today than I was the day that we started it. Oh, absolutely. I think, I, I think um I think the Crows have some good stuff on the horizon. Um I think the announcement of the album, it's I'm excited to hear it. I'm excited to uh, to see what direction they go in, and then I'm excited about the podcast. You know we've we've talked ad nauseum about how much Jason has helped us and and has gotten us more organized and has been super creative. And um, I think, you know, he, he's gotten his feet wet already. And so he's uh, like, we said, he's a full fledged member of this team. And I'm looking forward to what we do on that, do on Patreon. And I I do want to mention a couple before we go that, that Lala Slopeman. Yes. She's our big sister. Uh, That's what I tell her all the time. Sweetheart of a person for her to come on here that was some trust. And, um, I think, uh, the way we handled that, I don't think there's any reason for anybody in the crows universe not to come on here and think we're going to betray them and all Johnny Colt. I, I I cannot say enough about that guy as genuine and real of a human being as I have ever met. And, um, we've hung out with him. I've hung out with him now three times and, and Ian has hung out with him. And, you know, we had the thing in New Orleans a couple of weeks ago and just a real special friendship that, um, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have with him, Joe and Dave Chamberlain. Those were some of our earliest people that came on. So many of our listeners, William Whalen, he was one of our first ones Mm. that we had on. Um, Lala was awesome. Susan Tedeschi. We didn't even really talk about that. That was you talking about going through a, a professional PR firm to get her on. That was, we had to sign documents twice. She was amazing. And, um, I, you know, I can't think of, remember everybody that we've had off the top of my head, but, uh, Mark Ford, I'm not trying to brag, but I think that was the best interview Mark Ford's ever had. He, you could really tell about 10 minutes in, he got comfortable with us. And then, you know, we pulled the, had the thing pulled out where found out he was asked to join during the Chinese democracy days. And that one made headlines, but Mark was super cool. We haven't had anybody be a jerk to us. Now we've had Chat Joseph Pleague not show up and then we couldn't. <laughs> Getting back on, but um, and and we've had some real near misses with um some people Mm. that I I hope you know Chuck Lavelle one that we went back and forth with him, not trying to not tell people who they are, but we've had some real near misses, and um, but a lot of times, Jason knows this because I I told him this before, but a lot of times Ian will go into panic mode that we're done, we can't get any guests, and then literally we have so many that we can't we can't get them all in. Kevin Kenny and Patterson Hood happened that way. It's like, oh, we're just, we're kind of out of gas. Boom. They fell in our lap. And so getting to interview those people that are somewhat loosely connected with the Crows is always fun. And it's always fun to, to talk with people like our guests that we're going to have uh, this week that we'll talk about in just a second that are fans of the band. And it's cool when you, you, these guys that you're fans of, you find that, hey, they're no different than me. They're fans of bands. You know, like Charlie's going to talk about, you know, getting to play with the Crows. I mean, that would be a big deal for any of us. And it was a big deal for him. And that's one of the things that I've learned is you get to know these people. If you treat them like human beings and not like, you know, oh, that's the lead singer and guitar player, for smoke. you treat them like normal people. They're going to treat you the same way in return. And then they're going to get comfortable with you. And then you're going to get the good stories. But I cannot list all the people we've had on here, but um, to the people that have trusted us in a way that that they felt comfortable coming on here, we really appreciate it. And we really appreciate the people that wish to remain anonymous behind the scenes that have helped facilitate all of this. Mm-hmm. We can't thank you enough, the two or three of you that are out there. You know who you are. That's how we've gotten a lot of our giveaways, too. I, I'm, I'm as excited today as I was the day that we hit upload on, on our first episode. And I, I truly think the best is yet to come.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I do just want to circle back because you mentioned Lala. Lala was uh, a, a very bright spot in doing this podcast. And it's funny, Lala, I consider Lala uh, a, a, a genuine friend of mine. I, I call her up, we talk. And to the point where I forget sometimes, you know, how we met Lala. You know, she's just, uh, she's so down to earth and, and wonderful. And I think that that's, that's a real big bright spot. But honestly, David, and I'm not just saying this, my friend, it's, it's been a fun ride and watching our own friendship develop and become greater. And I, I couldn't think of anybody else I'd rather do this with. Me.
0: Yeah. Right back at you. I, uh, I agree. Um, I've gotten a lot of really good friends out of this and uh, that's the best part. And it's getting to interview all these people we grew up <laughs> listening to is, is, is fun too, but it's the uh, it's the friendships and Hey, we left out two people that were super positive, Charity and Mona. Oh, lovely! They were
2: they were awesome. Those were two of our favorite ones. So, um can I just tell you something real quick? Because you mentioned Mona, when I when shortly after we interviewed Mona, I got really sick, like a, a bad flu or something like that. And Mona was texting me home remedies. It was it was like your mother, you know. Doing, <laughs> it was the sweetest thing. Ever.
0: I'll always remember that. He doesn't ask his co-host, who's a pharmacist, for medical advice. He goes to the, goes
2: to the singer. That's right. She was lovely to me. I didn't probably knows more than me advice. Anyway. She just wanted me to feel better. And I will say, Jason, too. It is a pleasure to have you on board. It's a little disappointing because I'm no longer the most handsome one on this program. But uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you the honor, my friend. You know what I'm saying? It's yours. That's all I'm going to say. And uh, thanks for and, what you do for us, man.
1: Yeah, I just have to do everything I can to not make the glare from my bald head blind you guys while I'm sitting here.
2: Uh, yeah, I find it charming,
0: and you That's haven't fine. lived till you've seen Jason dance. You got to see Jason dance in person. Yes.
2: I don't know if uh, my central nervous system can cope with something like that, but uh, you know we'll just, see.
1: Just think, Elaine on friends. Hey, oh hey. dear. And 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 I I will
0: say this: one of the best SOA meetups Jason couldn't go to, but he facilitated. In an awesome house in Destin, Florida for the moon crush trip. I hate it. He couldn't make it, but we all had a blast.
1: Yes. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it was unfortunate, but I'm glad to see everybody have a good time. And, and uh, there's more to come, man. We're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep doing it. So, Ian, why don't you tell everybody who our
0: guest is for episode 100?
2: So, we batted around a few names that we were going to try to circle back around with, and top of the list, was Mr Charlie Starr who was a a great guest when we first had him on wonderful guy always gracious with his time so we thought a nice uh, revisit with Charlie would be a fitting 100th episode kind of celebration so we're going to flip it over to that interview with Mr Charlie Starr and uh, we appreciate each and every one of you have joined us either for this entire 100 episodes or somewhere along the way you dropped in We're glad to have you and we hope you stick around for the next hundred.
3: yeah, Ooh, got to be a little bit crazy. Oh yeah.
4: Charlie, first of all, welcome back. How are you, man? I can't complain. I'm at home for a little bit and uh, doing lots of chores that Mama needs done.
0: (laughs) Well, so we had the first time we had you on was during COVID, and things were kind of wonky, and nobody really knew how things were going to go. I got to tell you, of all the people we've ever had on, I think you were our most productive guest for for their record sales because. I cannot tell you how many people go. I never gave them a fair shake. I listened to your interview. Now we have this group text of, of people that listen to the podcast. I can't tell you how many of them have said I've bought all the, every vinyl. Oh. Uh, we got people going to see five, six, and seven shows and planning their vacations around seeing you. So uh, I think it was a fruitful 30 minutes for you the last time you were on. <laughs>
4: Thank you very much. I, I, I owe you one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do
0: think it's interesting because you guys are road dogs, yeah, and that's how you've built your built your career and, and built your your fan base. And I tell people all the time, you, your records are really good, but you cannot judge this band till you see them live. I've even suggested to people that do not like this kind of music, and yeah. they've gone to see you and come back and go, "Dude, they blew me away. They sound so good." and I don't know who does your sound at the shows, but they—they they definitely deserve a, a nice little paycheck because it's yeah. always very clear sounding. You can yeah. hear
4: all the instruments, and they're and they're where they're supposed to be. Well, his name is John Farrell, and he'll be a—he'll be very appreciative. I'll let him know you said that. Uh, <laughs> we stole him from Aerosmith, so okay. He was he was working in their camp. He actually we didn't steal him. He he's a he's a Boston guy. We actually did have, uh, well, he came to us after we had Aerosmith's front of house guy. John Ship is his name. He came out with us for about a year. And uh, and then Aerosmith went back on tour and he went back. And uh, in his stead, he said, I'm going to send you John Farrell, who was over there doing, I think he was doing monitors, maybe for Joe Perry. And, uh, and that was supposed to just be a temporary thing. And uh, John's been with us now for years. So it's a... He's a very dedicated and we love him. And I'll, I always love to tell him when people say he does a good job because he really does.
0: It sounds great. The first show that I saw post-COVID was at uh, Annandale Brewery in um, Birmingham. Y'all did that Birmingham. short run with, with the All-Stars. And I actually, uh, Matt Slocum and I went together. Yeah. And uh, he leaned over about halfway through y'all said, and he's like, you realize like everybody up there is like upper echelon. And it was, just, oh, I, you could have come out there and hit an A chord and I'd been so desperate for live music and just hit the A chord and walked off the yeah. stage and be like, money well
4: spent. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, I love that place uh, up there. I think the last, uh, we did two nights, I think, mm-hmm. there with the with North Mississippi. Yeah. And uh, I remember somebody th- it was coming out of covid and like you said everybody was so excited and some dude threw a beer and mm-hmm. it hit my guitar and it i saw it coming it came from a long distance from like <laughs> way in the back of the venue there and uh i of course that that wasn't cool and um he hit me up on instagram the next day apologizing profusely he was like i'm so sorry man i was so excited and i just let fly with that thing and i had no idea it was going to go that far <laughs> <laughs> you got to respect that though yeah I was like, hey man, it didn't, it didn't tear anything up, but. Thanks for saying you're
0: sorry. One of of the things I thought that was so funny that night was in true Southern fashion, you introduced everybody in the band by their college allegiance sports team.
4: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Britt, I I did that because Britt hates it. (laughs) Well, uh,
0: because it always
4: brings a boo or two, you know, whenever we get to like Florida State or Clemson, there's somebody that goes, boo. Well, I
0: I went to Ole Miss and my wife went to Alabama, so I'm not going to say anything about Auburn this year. So, uh,
4: man, I I went to the Iron Bowl.
0: Well, I thought, I thought Reverend Hugh was about to pull one out there. I did the too. Evening.
4: I did too. And, and in fact, I was, we stayed, I took both my sons and, and my oldest son's uh, new wife. We went and, uh, and we had planned initially, cause you know, that there was a hundred thousand people there. And, and I was like, we should probably leave Um, beginning of the fourth quarter, no matter what's happening. Right. And they're like, absolutely. Cause we'll be stuck here for four hours. <laughs> and it was such an amazing game and we thought Auburn was going to pull it off and we were like we're not going anywhere so we did we watched them you know lose uh, in such a horrible horrible way and then we sat in the car for 4 hours trying to get out of Auburn Alabama it was it was brutal but hey
0: well he did <laughs> that football.
4: he was at at Old
0: Miss 4th and 25 on Arkansas and we yeah. lost and we would have gone to the college playoff of that year so yeah uh It's not his first rodeo. All right. So let's get to a more important matters because uh, football will always let us down in the end. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The new album is be right here. It's coming out February the 16th. You guys have already released three singles and uh, each one of them has a little bit of a different twist to them. Uh, You know, let me ask you this because you, I think you and I are almost around the same age, The record industry has changed so much. So, like when we were growing up, like let's say when Metallica released the black album, Inner Sandman comes out and a month later the album comes out. Yeah. But now, like you guys announced this like three months ago, two months Mm -hmm. ago, and you've already got three singles out. Is that just the new model going forward?
4: Well, I think so Uh, uh, there, uh, I guess there are different ways to look at it and there are different models. There are different versions of the new model. I guess you could say some people um, I had this discussion with Dave Cobb. um, He said, uh, you know, some people just don't, they announce the records coming out and it comes out on Friday, you know, Mm -hmm. um, talking about Stapleton and uh, even Sturgill Simpson will do that at this point instead of the long drawn out, um, you know, marketing plan or push or whatever. In our case, this time we did it because the the wait for vinyl manufacturing was minimum six months. So, wow. and I thought, I thought when I first was told that, I thought, that's not possible. Minimum six months? How is that possible? And uh it was it started with the supply chain issues from COVID, you know. So basically it's a it's a cube you get in and uh with your product and and we didn't want to do this disjointed thing where we released the album digitally but not physically first you know right so we weren't in a hurry so it was like hey you know what um let's just well you know we put a stake in the ground and said okay well it'll be definitely ready by this date and and um so that's the that's the reason why we are doing it this way this time and uh instead of waiting, instead of saying like, hey, it comes out in February, instead of only doing that, it's like, well, let's release a song a month. Um, I saw Robert John and the Wreck, that that young band, they did that. And uh, mm-hmm. I thought, well, that's a really cool thing. Cause you get a a little, you get a snippet every month, you know, until the record comes out. And uh seemed like a that's an instru- and intru- kind of an interesting thing to do.
2: What's your, uh, what's your take on like Spotify and the streaming platforms? Cause to me, it seems like a, like a double-edged sword almost because I mean, obviously the return rate isn't that great on it, but it is such a large platform. It gets your, it gets your music out there.
4: Yeah. It, that's exactly, you're exactly right. It sucks and they don't pay and, um, but it's just a necessary evil. It's mm. So odd, but our, our fan base is really, uh, loyal with the, Wanting to hold the physical copy in their hand, still, yeah. you know, uh, well, because they're all old like we are, you know? so they, <laughs> they want to read liner notes and hold a either a record or a CD, and they want to they want a poster and a T-shirt, you know. Just well, like that's what do. I was
0: that's what I was going to say. Of all the bands that I follow, I think you and Widespread Panic do the most at it not being stale. It's good mm-hmm. product, and it's a lot to choose from and if i mean obviously he know this but like whenever i've been to your shows you'll see people buying three and four different shirts yeah at, at, at a time and and obviously Britt, his was it merch mountain I, mm-hmm. I know i'm i'm sure you know he has a, a vested interest because of that but yeah um
4: and it's well, quality that, it's quality stuff that was his um that was his passion from the beginning from the beginning of this band like i was not saying he's not passionate about music he because he is but I was passionate about writing songs and he his passion is graphic design and merchandise. He's like, he's like, remember, I mean, I can remember if in the very beginning of the band, he's, he always would talk about going to the Omni and the, and the way that cheap pot smelled up in the nosebleed seats at the Omni, no matter who you're going to see and how everybody had seemed like they had the same pre-show music. It was like uh, cold as ice by foreigner, <laughs> like before they went on stage. And he's like, you, and then you would go and buy Uh, You know, take your pick from tons of T-shirt designs. That was like every band's M.O. in in the 70s and 80s, you know, and um, that's what he brought to the table in our band. It's like, this is I know what we have to do here. And then, uh, you know, uh, several years into it, uh, I remember saying, you know what we need? We need a brown T-shirt. And he's like, do we? And I Mm -hmm. said, yeah, I like brown. And he's like, all right, let's print a brown shirt. And so he's uh, he's like, what what would what what would you like to see on your brown shirt? <laughs> and I said, I don't know, man, help me out. So I wanted a brown ringer with uh, I don't know, his head had some kind of cool thing on it. And uh, a little bit later, he's like, uh, you curious as to how your brown shirts doing? <laughs> I said, yeah, how's it doing? He goes, it's our poorest seller. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, he goes. I know what our I know what our our folks like and they like black t-shirts that they can wash a whole bunch of times then they don't wear out. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So, okay. well,
0: almost stay out all of your right. lane. So <laughs> the last the, the last album you guys put out coming out of covid was a big loud guitar album. Yeah. Um, all over the road I, I pushing pretty live for my favorite um song by you guys. You told us when, when you were on, you go, we've recorded it and it's going to be big and it's going to be loud. And it yeah. definitely was. Is the new album going to be in that
4: same vein or is there going to be a little bit of a departure? It's it's actually more raw than View Here, Georgia. Um And the reason for that is um when we started to go, I started sending songs to Cobb demos and um we had actually started to rehearse some of the songs and uh, get ready to go in and track. And he said, uh, he's like, are you sending demos again? And I said, yeah. He goes, don't send them to the dudes in the band. And I was like, okay, well, too late. I've already sent, you know, about half of them. He goes, don't send them anymore. I want to capture everybody's knee-jerk musical reaction. You know, when they first hear the song, I want to hear what people instinctively play along the way that they play first before they have any time to even think about it, you know. And uh, it sounds very Bob Dylan to me. That's great. It's really, that's a fascinating idea. And so we did that on a few songs and it was really, it was cool. It's, you know, it takes a little more time, but, uh, and time is money as they say. (laughs) Um, But, uh, but he also said, uh, Hey man, we're going to make a little amp album. And I said, yeah. And he said, yeah, don't bring anything bigger than a Princeton. And uh, I said, Oh, okay. I could dig it. It's like funk 49. Like, You know, you always hear the stories about James Gang and like the Layla album and it's Champs and Princeton's and stuff. And, you know, they make them sound huge. That's no problem there. But uh, he said, the reason why I want to put everything in the big room at RCA, drums, amps, everything, all of us in there, in in the same room, bleed and all. And I said, oh, that sounds good. I think he did it with Slash. He just did his newest record, you know. And so we did. Seven people, eight counting him, drums, vocals, guitar amps, all go into town. And uh, as soon as we started to track, I, I I thought it was the coolest record sound I've ever heard for our band. I was like, this is it sounds like a, a big, a great, a great big jam in here because the room is huge at RCA. And uh, anyway, that being the case, also, there's a lot of bleed, and it sounds like what I'm explaining to you. It sounds like we're all just playing in this big room. so it it lends itself a more raw sound even than the last record.
2: It seems to be that's kind of what Dave Cobb goes for. He kind of goes for that uh, spontaneity and that raw sound. I mean, I, I know listening to the singles, you can kind of hear, yeah, the room, you know, and that's I think that's really cool,
4: totally. He uh, I don't know if I told you before, like there's no. There's no click, there's no auto tune. He's completely an analog guy, you know. And um, I think he gets excited when we fuck up because he wants to leave it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and You know, it's all about the. There are time. there was a song on the last record called All Rise Again uh, that Warren Haynes is a guest on. And uh, I had played the intro, that was the first take. <laughs> Comfortable, and um, w- I started to go back. I was like, I need to hit that intro again. He's like, No, you do not. And I was like, Well, it's pretty sloppy. He goes, Who cares? You were feeling it. You weren't overthinking it. It's perfect. And uh, I had to. I appreciate. I, I thanked him when we were done. I was like, Thank you for reminding me what I love about Stones records and Zeppelin records and Beatles records, because it's not perfection. It's all about feel. Those did are my he? favorite type bands when you hit hold a note a little bit too long
0: in concert or, you know, they don't have the, they hit the pedal a little bit too late. And it's yeah. sure, you're getting a unique, nobody else is going to get that again. That's right.
4: There was a, when I was playing with the Crows uh, last May and we did um, the Whiskey a Go-Go and there was a, there was an, a misunderstanding between Rich and his tech and he capoed a guitar in the wrong spot. That was so funny. He, he started throwing in my pride, and and uh, and we had to stop.
2: He needs no introduction, but he gets one because it's like in our contract.
5: His name is Rich Robinson on guitar. Just kidding about the contract. It's not true. I just made it up on the spot. You know what I mean? <laughs> and filling in on guitar, we got Charlie. <laughs> Charlie
3: (laughs)
2: Starr. It was like my most exciting thing was to introduce Charlie Starr because we have like a fucking rock star in our band. And I blew it because the sun's still
5: up. Charlie Starr from The Great Blackberry Smoke, everybody. You ready?
3: one ever!
2: Alright, Rich is going to uh, improv now for you guys. Charlie Starr, everybody! Charlie Star. I'd like to reintroduce
5: Charlie Starr. And let's talk about Charlie for a little while.
4: Charlie, where do you hail from? Everyone knows. It was very confusing for a second, and then it was like, "Oh, I know what's I know what's happened," uh, and they played it off as it was great. It was it turned into comedy, but um, but Sven later he said, "We've never stopped ever. We've always played through something like that, and that's the first time we've ever." And I thought, man, that was pretty special for the Black Crows fans in that room because they saw something that's never happened ever. In the history of that band,
0: that's when Chris forgot to introduce you.
4: That's right. Yeah, so <laughs> it's just like, we got an actual rock star in the band. So, and you didn't so it was, so it was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a yeah. That was. I mean, those are the things that make it interesting.
2: I mean, touching on Why, that that whole situation. How did you end up uh, temporarily filling in there with them?
4: Because Isaiah had to leave. He had to go do, um, I think, a European tour with Earthless, and he was still in the band then. And it was something that it was COVID related because there was, there were, there were shows that were canceled, but then they were, I can't remember. I, I don't exactly know, but, but there, there was a, there was a, a misunderstanding maybe, but, um, Isaiah, um, he was not going to be able to do that month. And, uh, there weren't many shows. I think it was five shows and a, and a television performance. Mm-hmm. And, um, so Rich reached out and we actually it just happened to coincide with a little break that we were taking because of Britt's heart attack. So he, he said, uh, I need we need somebody to come fill in. And uh, I said, I'm I'm free. I can do it. Well, we fig- we figured out about two months
0: in advance that there was going to be a schedule conflict. We were and uh-huh. uh, we have this huge group text, 30, 40 people on it. And we we're kind of playing who's going to be the guitar player bingo on it and and somebody goes it's going to be charlie no that makes too much sense it's not going to be charlie and um we were like it was a Stagecoach," and we're like live stream they were live streaming it and like Mm -hmm. the footage is kind of grainy and then it took them a while on twice as hard to cut over to you Uh and they cut over to you and we were like holy cow it is and one of my favorite moments on it's during twice as hard obviously you know people like to give rich a hard time because he doesn't look happy on stage but then he always says things well i'm the one directing the traffic and and everything and you can see him look over there at one point like he normally does and you go to hit that solo on twice as hard and you look kind of over at him and rich is kind of like all right we're good I can't imagine knowing how much you like the band and you know, they have helped you guys along the way. I can't imagine what you were thinking when you first hear rich hit twice as hard and go, I'm about to play this with them.
4: It was, it was amazing. I had such a, such an amazing time to play those songs with those guys, you know? Um, I, I wish there had been more, more shows, you know? Um, but it was fantastic and, and uh, great memories. all keep forever you know um and we're and they're, they're my friends you know it's just it was really special i was was um happy i was available to help and it's really a amaz- an amazing thing to watch those two brothers operate to to stand back there in the back and like watch that like that breakdown and my pride it was like this is the shit man this is really special those guys they were born to do that
0: well fairly or unfairly that second guitar spot amongst the black crows fans it gets judged under a microscope and and, and sometimes i don't think that's fair not one person online or to us had anything negative to say about you sitting in on that and that is a first um i think that's one of the best compliments within this community you can be given Uh, you played it with a great feel it's almost like you have uh Almost kind of like you'd listen to that
4: music a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, well, I love it. I love it. Just this—the this songs are—they're are, perfect. You know, they're perfectly written songs. And the—I mean, I've—I've seen—I've seen them live myself so many times since I was in high school. So it wasn't alien to me at all. It wasn't. I mean, I would—I would think. And there, there are other bands this that, that are like this for me too. I would think. Um, I would. Maybe think, I'm not sure I even have to play this on the guitar at home. I think I can play it. You know what I mean? (laughs) I I think I've at least played this, those songs on the guitar, even just sit down and just play the riff, you know? Um, But I did have to, I did have to, to learn.
0: Is there one song by the crows you wish you'd have gotten to play with them?
4: Well, I asked him um, about a few different things and we were, well cuz most of the shows that we played were like festival type sets you know so and uh and i don't i wasn't given a choice or anything <laughs> you know i did, <laughs> i didn't get asked like hey what do you want to play but uh i was just told hey what, here how about these you know i said okay i i put we didn't play um sometime salvation i would have loved to have played that one i think and um gone that would have been cool mm. um but we did play um we did play A Conspiracy in uh, New Orleans, and we played uh, Ballad and Urgency a couple of times. That was really cool. But I mean, if I could have written the set list, I used to joke with friends of mine that were on the road with ACDC about, man, what if you got to write their set list for them every night? <laughs>
0: yeah, well, I would have loved to have seen about a 15 or 20 minute version of my morning song with you. uh
4: That's another one. Yeah, that would have been that would have been good. You know, we did a couple of uh, shows too with no keys, which was really odd. It's because Joel got COVID, Ah. keyboard player at the time, and it was really last minute. I mean, it was like the afternoon of sound check. He tested and was like, "Oops, I have COVID." So they were like, "Well, we're not gonna, we're just gonna play." And I asked Rich. It was like there was no time, like to call anybody else. It was so sudden, so last minute. I said, have you guys, I said, I remember seeing you with no keyboard player in 1990 mm. or 90, 91 uh, at the center stage in Atlanta. Have you ever played a show with no keys since that first tour? He said, yeah, we did four. We had to do short, four shows without Eddie. He got really sick back in like 96. Yeah. And, and, and it, um, and it was odd to me. Um, it was, it was, it, it felt great. Um, it still felt great to play those songs you know but uh but it was i was like oh and it there had to be some some huddle that happened about what songs to not do because you couldn't do really key heavy songs
2: well the same thing applies to in the crows i think when they have the backup singers versus not it's kind of it's kind of odd when they don't you know yeah i would imagine it's kind of a different vibe though for you just being the guitar player as opposed to the but for lack of a better term, frontman, you know. So uh, was that was that a little more relaxing for you?
4: Yeah, well, I think so. Well, singing <laughs> takes so so much uh, of your brain power, I think, and to be able to just kind of hang back there with Sven, that was nice. Um, but still, I mean, it was a, there was a lot of pressure because because uh, like we did a show and then the next night it's like oh, okay, and then here's some more songs you've never played before, and you're like on a stage and but like uh, stagecoach. Like there was no sound check and it was just, um,
0: and it looked like you're playing in gale force winds.
4: <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like a, being in a, an obstacle course.
0: So speaking of cross pollination, mm-hmm. our, our buddy Nico
4: set in with you guys for a little bit. Yeah. Well, uh, re- for Benji. returning, returning the favor, <laughs> you know, we wound up with some shows that got added um, at the end of our tour, the end of our fall tour. And uh, Benji had prior commitments. And so I was like, well, and now Drew Smithers, who is our buddy, he's done it. He's come in and um, helped out before. He's in Marcus King's band now, so he wasn't free. And um, Nico was actually coming to town for whatever reason, because um, Sven lives here, you know, in Atlanta mm-hmm. as well. And uh, I said, I asked Sven if he thought Nico might be interested, you know, and he said, I, I would think so. Ask him, you know, and I called Rich and said, man, I don't want to overstep, but would it be cool with you if. If uh, we need help now, can Nico come and? <laughs> and uh, he said, "Yeah, man." And uh, I think that I mean that was pretty. Uh, a, a, it was perfect timing since the Aerosmith tour had gotten, you know, pulled. The plug got pulled, so Nico was very uh, gracious to come and do that with us. That was great. Beautiful human and beautiful player and just a good friend.
2: I, I've I've seldom encountered somebody that's so into music. You know, he's he loves it. Yeah. He lives and breathes it.
4: I'm fascinated too with him. He's telling me stories about his dad mm. and about the band riff and the Popo's blues band. And that's, that's great. I mean, it's, it's a world away, you know, it seems from, 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 from our world.
0: And he looks like he's straight out of 1975.
4: Of course. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. With him and Sven on the side, on, on that side of the page, that's, that's the face guys in the group over there.
4: Yeah. When he, we didn't make an announcement or anything, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty sudden too. And, um, I could see some of the ladies at the first show going, who is that over there? <laughs> well,
0: he's just like you said, he, we've had him on here. And then, uh, Ian, he sat with Ian during Dun- dirty honey set with the crows a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. And he's just a ball of positivity.
4: Yeah, yeah, man. He's yeah. great. Great. He was a great travel companion. He came into a situation where I'm the only one he knew, you know, um, but, uh, the, everybody, uh, we're, we're an easy bunch. We're all old and set in our ways. And, mm-hmm. You know, it was easy.
0: Well, and you and Benji go out and do some shows, the two of mm-hmm. you. I never have looked at your set list, and I haven't been able to catch one of the shows. Is it a lot of covers? And is it a lot of, obviously, it's going to be some Blackberry Smoke stuff in there, but.
4: There's a lot. Yeah, I try to mix it up. I found that in the, you know, we he and I have been playing acoustic music for, God, it's like 15 years, maybe. Let's do one for Dickie Best. Thank <laughs> you. first met Benji he was Tekken for Mark Ford. yeah it was 2006 2005 or 6 and he was teching for the Crows and then I started he was also playing guitar in um, the last waltz ensemble which was uh, sort of a band tribute band and um, one of my wife's college buddies was kind of leading that aggregation and um, I started to go and sit in with them and sing a couple songs a couple of Levon songs and um, that's how Benji and I met so we started playing and then we were playing uh acoustic sets like in, in restaurants and shit <laughs> and uh it was great so when we first started to do this now you know like the solo acoustic shows i'd put in a lot of covers and people started going quit doing so many covers you know we, we came to hear songs that you wrote you know so i said oh so we try to mix it up a a good bit we do a still do a lot of covers but maybe half
0: is he now. is he on the new record
4: yeah he's on the last two
0: so you you guys are definitely picking up the the three guitar. Attack. We did,
4: we did, and and um, you know he was when he first started coming and playing, sitting in with Blackberry Smoke, he was playing parts that would have been overdubs, you know, maybe if I overdub steel or slide or mandolin, and it didn't change anything that was going on. It just added, and then he came and recorded the full record, uh, the last record you hear Georgia, and uh, so now it's.
0: He is he, such a good slide player.
4: He's amazing. He's so tasteful. He's so slow and and soulful. A true slow hand type of a player. You know. Yeah. He's. It's a joy to play with him.
2: Are you excited to get this uh, this new record out on the road, so to speak?
4: Yeah, and uh, we we're adding this the songs as they're released, and um, the reason for that is sort of selfish because I, I I remember one one of the last or, or one of the um, earlier records in our career we started playing songs before they were released and people would get they would start to formulate an opinion and then when they they would hear the record they might be like well that doesn't sound as good as it (laughs) and i was like you know what we're not gonna fucking play them anymore until you hear the recorded version (laughs) but it's kind of fun then because it's like to see people's reaction if they've heard it for a couple of days and maybe they might even know the words you know
0: yeah Um, absolutely a little bit crazy has been on constant rotation for me yeah same here oh thank you uh if if you guys can do anything you can write a a laid-back melody that sounds uh that just sounds effortless like on pretty little lie
4: There was me and there was you and him. I was hoping for a chance to you out. but
0: then I, I love the harmonies
4: on that live with with Paul singing with you um just blows me away every time he's got a beautiful voice you should hear him when when we were kids when we were teenagers we were both in cover bands down in Lagrange georgia and uh, and uh paul he's he's got like a Steve Perry voice it's really high and sweet and pretty and Sometimes I'm like, man, you're wasting yourself on singing behind me. You need to get up there and do that again.
2: <laughs> what are you What are you listening to these days? What's on your What's on your radar? I always like man, to ask people that.
4: I, I was just talking about it today. Um, I love the newest Queens of the Stone Age record. Really, I, those dudes fascinate me. <laughs> just they, they they push guitar music forward. You know, Sierra Farrell, I like her a lot. Amer- Americana singer. Um, I, I had not listened to her and I saw her live. We played a festival together in, in the Netherlands. It was back um September and she was so good. I was knocked out completely. So good. Um, Charlie Crockett, like him. He's great. That whole, that whole contemporary Americana scene, you know, with Charlie and and Jason Isbell and Sturgill Simpson and um, well, and even Billy Strings um, he's obviously an amazing talent. And, uh, but then I just got, well, when Shane McGowan died, I was like, I need more Pogues vinyl. I've got rum, sodomy, in, sodomy in the lash. And if I should fall from grace from God. And I found the BBC live, um, retrospective. So it's 84 to 86 of all that. When Shane was really just still singing his ass off when it was, when it was so great. And, um, uh, it's been a lot of Pogues around here for the last couple
2: of weeks. I, it's a shame, you know, the, his, uh, his end there, you know, it's a, it yeah. was a slow, slow demise. And it's it, it, the, the Pogues to me are one of those bands that it, David and I always talk about this bands that should have been much bigger, you know?
0: Yeah. Speaking of like Billy strings, mm-hmm. I haven't gotten into him yet, but I've really gotten into like green sky, bluegrass Yeah. and a uh, trampled by turtles <clears throat> mm-hmm. and kind of that whole scene. It's interesting. A lot of those guys do a lot of interesting covers trampled by turtles does a uh, mean version of i'm going down by springsteen and i'm kind of getting into that scene uh are you obviously you came from the south and you wear your influences on the sleeve are are you at all interested in bluegrass music
4: that's what i grew up playing okay yeah my dad is a he still is a bluegrass guitar player singer hobbyist he never he never toured or did it for a living but um that's what he loves. He doesn't, and he doesn't come to see us play because he doesn't like loud electric music. He supports, he's always supported what I do, you know, but, um, but he likes Bill Monroe, you know, and Flatten and Scruggs and the Stanley brothers. So we would go to festivals when I was young and, and I still play with him. And I've got a bluegrass, sort of a group of friends in Georgia and every, holiday season, we have a, we have a picking and that's, that comes up at the end of December. And I love Billy and he and I played a little bit of bluegrass. we got together at the Ryman a few years ago and played a little. And and then I went and um, you can look it up. Michael Cleveland, a fantastic bluegrass fiddle player. He's, he's blind. He is probably the best fiddle player I've ever heard. He may be the best fiddle player alive, (laughs) but he just recorded one horse town. And uh, and it, I, he had me sing on it and uh, with his lead singer. And um, it's a really interesting arrangement and version of that song. I was really, really proud that he did it. So any anyway, yeah, I bleed bluegrass, my friend. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, well, I may have to come to you for some more uh, recommendations. Always said, if you took some of those bluegrass guitar players and those solos they play, you hook that up to a Marshall stack you're gonna think Ingvae yeah. Malmsteen's playing or something because they're so fast.
4: It's incredible, and and the the entry level is so incredible now that I'm like, okay, I'm out. I'm just <laughs> gonna sing, <laughs> you know. And that's Tony Rice's fault. He was, you know, I, and I love it just as much as any guitar player. Tony's one of my favorite, and Clarence White, who was really the first. Clarence White and Doc Watson were the two bluegrass guitar players that sort of established the idea of playing a solo on a guitar for that genre of music. Before that, it's like banjo and fiddle and mandolin. Like, okay, that's it. And then all of a sudden here they come with the, with the six string guitar and like, Oh, I can do that too.
2: <laughs> had, had you ever heard the, uh, the stuff Tony Rice did with uh, Jerry Garcia and David Chris. Oh yeah.
4: yeah that's the, fantastic. The, I've the, always the loved that. Tapes. Tapes. Yeah. yeah. Oh,
2: so great. Yeah. He's such a great player.
4: And Jerry was a big bluegrass guy, too. He was a banjo picker, you know, yeah. and um, and uh, he started playing, started Olden in the Way with Peter Rowan and and um, and Dog, David Grisman And uh, Jerry had, man, he had that pocket, even on the banjo, it was just the most laid back, like, that's not a laid back instrument. No. <laughs> no. And bluegrass music is not laid back. It leans forward in the mm. pocket, whereas blues is in the back of the pocket, bluegrass is in the front of the pocket. But not Jerry. He played it like he was like uh, falling down the stairs.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll go out on a limb and say that I think Jerry Garcia was most at home playing Blue Grace music. It totally. seemed like he fell right into it.
4: That was his that was his uh, his bread and butter.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
4: All right, Charlie, at the
0: end, we like to do some lightning round stuff with you. Just four or five questions. Just the first thing that comes off your uh, top of your head. Okay when Georgia and Bama were playing, who were you pulling for mother nature?
4: (laughs) Actually, I was wishing they could both lose.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Who's the next band you'd like to uh, co-headline with?
4: Oh, mercy. Um, That's a tough one. I can't, I, I, there's no lightning in that answer for me. Um, (laughs) Gosh, the wood brothers.
2: Yes. Oh, thank you. you. Thank you for saying what needed to be said, Charlie. Yeah. Are aren't they aren't they such a fantastic bench? Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, so you right. you, know, you talk about that uh that Americana and that all that stuff is like folded into one with them. Their new record is so fantastic.
4: Yeah, oh, so good. Never all right, what's old.
2: your favorite city for food?
4: I'll go with Atlanta. Atlanta rules. We have the greatest restaurants. It's fantastic. Not only do we have three Michelin rated restaurants now in Atlanta, Georgia there's a guitar player buddy of ours who's an, an amazing chef and restaurateur named Ford Fry he's got tons of great restaurants Rich and I just went to uh with our wives to a place called Marcel in Atlanta which is it's the best it's French but there's Buford Highway have you ever been to Atlanta to Buford Highway a bunch, to all yeah the, it's amazing it's amazing you can forget you're in the U.S right. I uh, I'm old
0: I'm old school Atlanta just give me the vortex. Yeah. and uh go Go get a great great burger. Yeah. All right. If Rich came to you and said, "Charlie, you get a free shot. One song. What's it going to be that you're going to play with us?"
4: Well, I I mean, I would say Wiser Time. That's just that would if I if I could have only played one, I think it would probably would have been Wiser Time.
2: I think that's the song that defines the crows.
4: It's just perfect. It's just perfect.
2: It's 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 perfect.
0: All right. One last one. You can't play with the crows. You can't play with blackberry smoke. You get a one-off, one-night show. Who is it?
4: Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers.
0: I hear you, brother. Didn't even hesitate. <laughs> no. Spe- speaking of a band with some uh, assassins in it, uh, well, you guys did. You know, you got lucky with Amanda Shires. One, two, three, four. <laughs>
2: David, I, I believe I told you this before, but still to this day, best cover version I've ever heard of any oh, song. I'm telling you, that's pleasure. so fantastic, Charlie.
4: You know, my favorite shows I've the, well, the two bands that I've seen most in my life are probably Tom Petty and the Black Rose. And um, every year, it's like the Heartbreaker shows were better than the year before. I don't know, I don't know how even. The last show that I saw in, in seventeen, um, I could, Tom was very frail. He was moving very slowly, and his, I could see him shaking because of the you know, the screens. Now I'm like, oh, I can see his fingernails. I mean, it's so close, and I thought, well, that's his age, and and that's the time that he's spent on the road. You know, he's he's an old warrior. I didn't know at all that he was that he had a broken hip, you know, or a cracked hip bone or whatever it was. And um, I don't guess any of us knew what he was going through, but he soldiered on and it was a great show. And it was the first time that I'd ever heard like rocking around with you live. They opened, opened with, with that. that. I yeah, was like, Oh they're... my God, this is how do they, how have now they're old men. And this show is better than the last, than the last one I saw, you know, I saw mud crutch at the tabernacle. Wow. Uh-huh. And uh so I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, well here's Tom. And Mike and Benmont, and they're and they played for two hours, and they did not even have to do a Heartbreaker song. It's incredible. <sighs> it's just like, and seeing them on that stage—that's such a, a room that we play. You know, I'm like, wow, look at there, there they are, and uh, just, just what a band. So
2: sad. I so, mean, obviously, the you know that the Heartbreakers and Tom Petty—you know, very popular, have a lot of hits. But I always feel like Tom Petty is left out of a lot of conversations about the greatest american songwriters
4: totally totally criminally so
2: yeah speaking of
0: playing in atlanta if i'm correct on this you guys did homecoming at the roxy this
4: year didn't you we did we moved up there and um it was a good show i don't i'm not sure how people i think people just love the tabernacle so i think we'll maybe maybe we'll go back to the tab i I love it there too we did the fox and there were a lot of people that complained about there's too many seats (laughs) Um, that was one of the best crow shows I ever saw was ninety-four at the Fox. It was Mark Ford's birthday and he sang happy. Ah. I always did a good the fabulous cover at happy. Fox Theater. The fabulous Fox Theater. <laughs> All right, Charlie, you
0: know, you're you're always welcome to come on here anytime you want to. Um, we enjoy you, talking to you. The albums be right here, February sixteenth. Ian and I have already bought four copies to Thank give away yes. um once it comes out. Why don't you give us a crow song to play out with and anything by anybody else you want to do it can be one of your own it can be somebody else
4: um well since it's the now the the anniversary or a little past it of southern harmony, you could do bad luck blue eyes goodbye <laughs> oh do um do um Christine's tune devil in disguise the flying burrito brothers
2: oh fantastic.
0: We will will definitely do that. Guys, go to their website. Their Road Dogs. They're touring big time next year. Got the shows with Charlie and Benji. The meet and greets are back. Those guys donate a lot of that money to the uh, it's a pediatric hospital in, in Atlanta.
4: Yep, Children's Hospital, Children's Cancer Research.
0: So um, good musicians, but even better humans, and we need more of that. As always, Charlie, like I said, you're welcome anytime you want to come on guys. here. And we'll throw it to our producer, Jason.
1: Stay tall, everyone. And now, the Flying Burrito Brothers.
5: we mm-hmm. to